Welcome. You're listening to an Ignite Harvest Ministries podcast with Evangelist Jordash Govinda. We pray that this word will inspire, impart, and ignite a passion in you for God and the advancement of His kingdom. We thank you, Lord, that you gave your everything for us and you are our everything. We give our lives to you. We surrender our hearts to you and we're here to hear your word. We're here because we want to glorify you. We're here because we want to magnify your holy name. It's all because of you, Father, and only you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Let's give God a praise offering in this place. at when a setback isn't your fault and many times it's much easier when the setback is your fault to actually recover from it because then you know okay I actually messed up and it's my fault and now I'm reaping the consequences so I need to recover but when you've done the right things right when you've done everything as God has said but because of someone else's disobedience you now take the backlash it can be a bit more difficult so we're going to look at the story in Acts chapter 27 where Paul has a major setback in a storm because of the disobedience of others on the ship. And we'll see how God brings out a turnaround even in that situation. Because when I often think of setbacks, and even in my younger days of Christianity, I would think all this talk about setbacks and Paul going through all these things, and I would wonder, but Jesus spoke to the storm. Why is he going through all these things? Is it a lack of faith or What's, what's actually going on? But just because you're going through a storm is not necessarily an indicator of a lack of faith because Paul, we know, had a lot of faith. Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. We glean our faith from the writings that God gave him. So surely it wasn't a lack of faith. And I came to the understanding that sometimes God will give you a word to speak to the storm, to calm the storm. And that's great. Amen? But other times, God will give you a word to calm the storm within yourself so you can endure the storm that's around you. So every situation is different. Every circumstance is different. And because we live in a fallen world with fallen people, people make mistakes. And in this broken world, those mistakes have consequences. Those mistakes hurt people. Those mistakes hurt us. So don't look at a storm in your life and think it's because you have a lack of faith or because you maybe did something wrong. Just because there's a storm doesn't mean it's any indicator on you. But what we need to do in that storm is focus upon God and what He can do for us within that. So God was with Paul in the storm, as we'll see, because He comes out on the other side. So in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, it's a story about Joseph. And I just added that in the beginning because I feel... It encapsulates everything that this message is really about. It says, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So Joseph is talking to his brothers now when he's revealed himself to them as the right hand of Pharaoh, and he reveals to his brothers that, hey, I know you guys meant evil for me. He recognizes the source was not God. The source was the flesh. 
the source was the enemy. And he says, you meant evil for me, but God meant it to turn around for my good, that many lives will be saved through the breakthrough that comes through, through his life. And what happened there is that even though the enemy meant evil for him, because he turned to God, God was able to turn it around for good. God was able to take that put, to take him being sold as a prisoner, to be taken him being sold as a slave in order to propel him into his destiny. He went from the pit to the prison and that was just a portal to get him next to Pharaoh's right hand to be able to deliver the nation at the time. So if there's evil being done against you, turn your eyes to God and he'll turn around that evil for good. He'll take that situation and turn it around and what was a devastation will be something that propels you into your destiny. Amen. So back to the story of Paul. It starts off and we'll go through Acts chapter 27. In verse 1 it says, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So Paul was at the council and they decided, okay, they're going to now send him on this boat. But before that, in Acts chapter 23, God reveals to Paul that he'll actually minister and preach the gospel in Rome. So Paul probably imagined that he's going to go on a mission trip and he's going to probably be doing a circuit of preaching and then end up in Rome. But that wasn't how it happened. And how many of you know, sometimes you'll receive a promise from God that you're going to be this or that and you think it's just going to be A, B, C and D. But then when you start walking for God and going towards the things that He's promised you, suddenly all the letters of the alphabet become mixed up and suddenly you're in a place where you aren't even sure what the next letter might be because that's sometimes how the process works. So Paul here was innocent. He had been unfairly put on trial for a crime that he didn't commit, but because he was a Roman citizen, he had used that, he used his right to appear to Caesar in a capital offense case and actually ended up getting a free ticket to Rome. So God will actually use what your enemy meant for evil to fund your mission to preach the gospel. Amen. So back to the introduction here is that Festus and the court decide to send Paul to Rome by ship. And this is a bad decision. It's the worst time of the year for traveling by sea. But Festus obviously had a reason for sending Paul at this time. He sent this ship from Adramitium during October, the worst time of the year. It wasn't a regular sailing vessel that they even used. It was an old ship that usually carried cargo along the coast. It wasn't designed for open sea sailing. So everything in the situation is already wrong. Without even a word from God, you can use common sense to say, okay, we shouldn't sail, it's going to be bad. He planned to get rid of Paul and Julius in one move by sending them away in a worn out ship at the worst time of the year. There were also prisoners and crew who were expendable, so he didn't care about them. Festus never intended for Paul or any of the crew to actually make it to Rome. However, Festus failed to take into account the will of the God of Paul. Paul cannot be killed because he has a message to deliver and a ministry to fulfill. And all the men on this voyage will also be saved because Paul is with them. This is blessing by protection and by association. In, chapter, in verse number seven, it continues. And said, when he had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete, off Salmon, 
passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens. And we'll find out that there was nothing fair and there was nothing that, that was a haven about that place. And this was near the city of Lycia. Now when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much, not, much loss, not only of the cargo and ship, but also our lives. So Paul has an impression. He's obviously in tune with the things of the Spirit and God is giving him, giving him an impression that, hey, something's going to go wrong here. You need to warn these people. So he warns the men aboard the ship that they shouldn't proceed because disaster lies ahead. But this impatient crew chooses not to wait. They ignore Paul's warning and sail into a massive storm. And this results in Paul being involved in a shipwreck that's entirely not his fault. In verse 41, it goes on to say, By striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and their prow struck fast and remained immovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So from the story, we're going to answer and ask three very important questions. Firstly, what causes people to make bad choices that cause setbacks and storms in their lives and the lives of others? Secondly, what we need to know about the storms that we can avoid? And thirdly, what we can remember about God and His Word during the storm so that we can make it through to the other side. So the first question, what causes people to make storm-creating choices? Before that, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your path. And the word ways here speaks of a road or a course or a mode of action. It suggests specific opportunities a person may encounter on a recurring basis. And the most common segment of opportunity would be each new day. The word acknowledge then goes on to speak about the, from the Hebrew word yada, which can, which can be translated to, via, to know via observation, investigation, reflection, or first-hand experience. And the highest level of yada is to know intimately. And this passage is suggesting that if we commune with God daily, if we are intimate with God daily, then our ways shall be directed, our paths shall be ordered by the Lord. But when we move away from this, our focus moves on to other things, like the sources below. And that's what primarily results in storms being created in our life. In Acts chapter 27, verse 9 to 10, it says, Now when much time had been spent, and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them and he warned them that it's going to end with disaster. In verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship other than the things spoken by Paul. And many of us have been given bad advice at some stage in our lives. And this setback is caused because of taking the advice of the ungodly. And we might have known that the advice we are getting were contrary to the word of God. But many times what we do is we want to do something in a situation. And so we go to the Word of God, we find the answer, but the answer sort of doesn't fit with what we want to do. So we go and seek out experts to support that opinion, and we seek them out and seek them out until we find maybe one expert to support what we're saying. And then we use that knowledge of the ungodly to justify our actions. And you might have also noticed 
if you've counseled somebody, if you've given them advice, and then they go and do the exact opposite of what you've said, and then they come back a few months later and say, I didn't listen to you, what do I do now? And then they repeat the same thing many times. Because the advice of the ungodly, especially when it's contrary to the word God has given you, will always result in disaster. So yes, it is important to value wise counsel, but we must know where the counsel is coming from. What's the source of that counsel? When God told us to do something or not to do something, we should rather decide to ignore all the experts who tell us the opposite. Because in contrast to God and His Word, they are wrong. And many times in Scripture, we even find people taking the advice of the ungodly, directly contradicting the Word of God, and it always ends up in a mess. I mean, if we look at Eve in the garden, she took the advice of someone very ungodly, and she ended up in a chaos that we're in at the moment. But thank God for Jesus Christ. Amen. And then even Sarah gave Abraham ungodly advice, trying to fulfill the promises of God by her own reasoning. It made sense. She was old. She couldn't have a child. And then she saw a solution that seemed to produce exactly what God had promised, but it was just a little bit skew. And when truth is even distorted slightly, that truth can become construed and destructive. The second thing that results in disaster is copying the crowd. In verse 12, it says, And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and the northwest and winter there. So there's 276 people on the ship. And when Paul had voted in this big vote with the majority, he was vastly outnumbered. It was 273 to three people. Just Paul and his companions were greatly outnumbered. They were the only ones trusting in the word of God that Paul had given. And history even shows us that many times the majority will always be wrong. Even with the 12 spies, we see that 10 of them said they couldn't conquer the land. And it was so bad, they probably convinced the rest of Israel that those two people who believed, the two spies who believed, had to wait for a whole generation to die off out of that negativity in order to enter the promises of God. So don't always rely on the majority. And when you have the Word of God, and when you're walking with God, with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, even though in the flesh you might be outnumbered, you're always with the majority because we've got the King and we've got the armies of heaven backing us up. Amen? And the third thing is counting on the circumstances. In Acts 27 verse 13, it says, When the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. And when we make decisions based on circumstances more than what God is saying, we're going to experience setbacks and storms. What may seem good is not necessarily always God. In the above verse, the crew suppose, or they thought they had obtained what they wanted. They feel this gentle breeze and see it as a great opportunity to set sail. So now the conditions seem perfect. The conditions seem right. Sometimes when we feel what we feel is exactly what we want in life, is actually setting us up for a shipwreck. We feel the breeze, we see the green grass, and despite not being at peace within, we decide to pursue what has captivated our sight. Just because something feels right doesn't mean it is. And I'm sure we've all been in a situation where it looked like we were about to get this amazing opportunity. Everything was perfect. There was a slight breeze that's going to set our sails and allow us to go into the sea. 
and everything about the opportunity is what we want. But that opportunity is actually not the right thing because even though it looks good, it's not from God. So just because everything seems right doesn't mean it is. And that's why we've always got to go back to the Word of God and look for the peace of God in our situation. When we're looking at making major decisions, get on your knees and pray and seek God and find out if there's peace in the situation. And you'll notice the closer you go to making that decision, to taking that opportunity, the more that peace will begin to become unsettled. And then you'll know what to choose, despite it being rationally the wrong thing or the bad decision. Circumstances are always subject to change, and that is why our decisions should never be based on them. In the story, the circumstances change shortly afterwards. In Acts chapter 27, 14, it jumps on and says, But not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose, called Euroclidon. So the second question is, what do we need to know about storms that we must avoid? The first point here is that storms can cause us to drift from our goal. In Acts 27, verse 15 to 17, it says, So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. They had taken it on board. They used cables to undergird the ship. And fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and so were driven. So the ship is now caught up in a storm. The wind is violently raging against these sailors and they can't even fight against it. They lose all control and they give up and submit to the winds to now drive them. And this is often the phases that we find ourselves in when a storm is raging in our lives. We lose control of our own plan. We stop trying because we are too tired to keep fighting and we give up. We allow the winds to blow our sails in any direction and end up drifting. And in the middle of the storm, the crew is also trying to now, in the storm, the storm is raging, the ship is swaying side to side, the waters are gushing all over the place, and they now are trying to tie a rope around the ship to undergird it, to protect it. What they're doing is they're using their peak of their human wisdom to try to solve the situation. But how many of you know that human wisdom has its limitations? And there comes a point where human wisdom is not going to yield the correct results because human wisdom can only yield human results. But when we're in a storm, what we really need is divine wisdom because divine wisdom will, re will release divine results. Amen? How many of you here can say you need some divine wisdom in your situation right now? And point B, storms can cause us to discard what we used to value. So the story goes on in verse 18 and says, And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. On the third day we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. And storms can cause us to throw away the things that we value, the things that are so important to us, because we think we're now going to stay afloat if we get rid of them. We try to remove valuable relationships by pushing people away, isolating ourselves, saying, you know what, I just need space, I need some time to deal with this. And we push everyone away that could have helped us in the situation, thinking it will lighten the load. We sell our prized possessions. Maybe if we're in a financial crisis, we get rid of things that are so precious to us, things that hold so much of sentimental value and later on regret it. We deprive ourselves of sleep. Maybe it's working to reach a deadline or because you're not going to meet the budget at the end and you sacrifice your sleep, you get rid of the things that are valuable to you 
and even compromise your health. It is important to remember that we should never make major decisions like these when we are depressed or discouraged. We must not allow an emotional reaction to consume us, but rather return to the solid foundation, which is the Word of God. And see, storms can cause us to despair. In Acts 27 verse 20, it says, Now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So imagine the scene. They are in darkness. There's no stars. There's no sun that's visible. There's no compass. And they have no idea where they are. They're being tossed back and forth by the waves. And they're probably saying to one another, it's over. This is the end. Their hope has now been thrown off board. However, despite this terrifying experience, Paul's reaction is different to the rest of the crew and all the rest of the prisoners that are on board. Paul is not freaking out. Paul is at peace. Paul is still filled with hope. And what was his secret? When you face a setback or a storm because of somebody else's poor decision, we need to remember the same three things that Paul remembered. In Hebrews 6 verse 19, it says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. And one of the oldest Christian symbols is not the cross or not the fish, but actually the anchor. If we go and look in history, the symbols that Christians had was an anchor. And the reason being is that the anchor was something that showed them safety. It showed them stability. It showed them something that's going to keep them secure and safe. It was used to prevent a ship from drifting. So this anchor was something that symbolized keeping them in the right position and not drifting to the left or to the right. And we have these anchors found in the Word of God that we can use on our soul to prevent ourselves from drifting. So lastly, the, these three anchors that we need to remember in a storm. The first one being the presence of God. In Acts 27, verse 22 to 23, it says, Now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong, and whom I serve. And I always wonder if an angel rocked up on the ship, the angel could have teleported Paul somewhere else. The angel could have lifted, lifted, lifted him up and put him on a mountain or put him in somewhere safe. But no, the angel just gives him the word of God in his situation. He's still letting him go through the storm. God is still telling Paul that you're going to go through the storm, but here's a word of hope. You're going to make it through the storm. You're going to make it to the other side. There'll be no loss of life on the ship. And we are not alone in our storms. God didn't abandon Paul and he hasn't abandoned you or I. God is with you regardless of what we might feel at times. The reality and the truth is that God says, I will always be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So even in your darkest moments, even in the most difficult of times, even when you can't feel the manifest presence of God, we must know and remind ourselves that we have the presence of God with us. He is with us in the storm. The Holy Spirit is with us within the storm. And when we remember that, we can take comfort knowing that we anchored within that storm because God is with us, because He has not forsaken us. Amen? Tell the person next to you, God is with you. In Psalm 139 verse 8 to 10, it says, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, 
Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. So wherever we might be, God is there. God is with you in your storm. Point two, the purpose of God. In Acts 27 verse 24, it says, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So Paul's conveying this message that the angel gave him. And the angel told him that you shouldn't be afraid. So maybe before Paul was in a state of peace, he might have gotten a little, little afraid because he was the guy who gave them the word that it's going to end in disaster and loss of life. And now he's sitting in the middle of a fulfillment of his own prophecy. So he probably was probably freaking out a little bit. But here the angel begins and says, do not be afraid. And he tells him, you must be brought before Caesar. God's purpose for our life will always be greater than any storm we'll ever go through or any setback we'll ever experience. For Paul, it might not have looked that way when he was out there in the middle of the ocean for 14 days of darkness. But the angel says, you must be brought before Caesar. You sitting in this place have a purpose. The fact that you are here this morning means you have a purpose. And it doesn't matter what your situation looks right now. I don't know your situation, but God knows your situation. And God is saying to you that you must appear before Caesar. You must fulfill that which he's called you to do. So despite the storms, despite the difficulty that you're in, maybe it's in your marriage, maybe it's with your children, maybe it's with your ministry, but you've got a word from God. You've got the promises found in the word. You might even have a prophetic word. And because of that word, you must fulfill that which God has told you to fulfill. You must fulfill that which has been prophesied. So you will make it to the other side. Amen. Let's give God some praise in this place this morning. Amen. Just like Peter, when he was in prison, and he remembered the word from Jesus saying, when you are old, and he remembered, it looked like it was the end. It looked like he was probably going to be beheaded at the time. But then while he was sitting there, he remembered, I received a word from the Messiah that when you are old, he looked at himself and he realized, wait, I'm not old. I can still dress myself. I can still walk around. I can still do these things. And he knew that because he hadn't been old yet, the promise hadn't been fulfilled. So this wasn't the end. So it didn't matter what the soldiers told him. It didn't matter what the prison guards told him. It didn't matter what worries the other prisoners had told him. He knew that he had a word from God and he was going to make it out of that place. Amen. So the angel tells him, you must be brought before Caesar. God's purpose for Paul is to share his testimony with the emperor of the Roman Empire. And what's more is that God has also granted safety to everyone else on board. So that's the grace of God. Even though these guys, guys disobeyed the word and now they were in a mess, God is still saying, Paul, you've got a purpose. And because you've got a purpose, all those around you will also make it through. You might have some family around you or some friends around you that seem like they're going through a darker time than you. But because you're in their circle, because you're associated with them, you're reaching out with, your, with the blood that's around you is reaching out and touching them. The protection of God on your life is covering them and they will make it through because of your impact, because of your seed, because of your anchor that's planted in their life. So Paul is the salt on this voyage and he is preserving the entire crew. Just like we're the salt of the world, world, we act as a preservative. So it doesn't matter. You might be in a business that's suddenly failing 
They aren't making their budget. They aren't bringing in revenue. But you're salt in that place. You're preserving in that place. You could walk into your boss's office and say, don't worry, I'm here. I'm the salt of the earth. I'm preserving this business. I've got a God that I serve. And because He's the God that I serve, we will prosper. We will get through the situation. You can look at your family. Maybe you're in a relationship where the other party seems to to be struggling but because you're there you're preserving that person you're reaching out as a salt and bringing about a change that's going to happen if you were removed it would have been much worse amen so paul's ministry is not yet complete his faith is now active and he has complete confidence knowing no devil or storm will destroy him so we know now that god's presence is always with us it doesn't matter what we're going through right now it's not going to change god's purpose for us that hurt that dumb decision that we made or somebody else made everything the attacks of the enemy all of that's going to be used for the purposes of God because that's the graceful and mighty God that we serve when I think about all of these stories found in scripture even with Joseph because he shares his dream he gets thrown into a pit but then eventually reaches his destiny it's almost like if we turn back to God it doesn't matter what decisions were made he's a master craftsman he's an architect of our futures he can work all of that into his purpose to reach its required goal it's like if you've ever used a gps and you were supposed to turn right and then you turn left and then it says rerouting no matter which way you go no matter which wrong turn you take god's plan for you will always include something that's rerouting wherever you go when you make a bad decision or somebody else makes a bad decision he's rerouting your walk he's urging your footsteps so you're going to make it to the purpose that god has for you and lastly the promise of god in acts 27 verse 25 to 26 he says therefore take heart men i believe god that it will be just as it was told me however we must run aground on a certain island. So he believes God. He believes the word that's, that God has given him to get through this. But the angel didn't tell him exactly how they will survive. So he's saying, he's obviously perceived again, that even though we're going to survive that God, how God has said, we're still going to run aground. We're going to kind of crash into a certain island. But relax because we're going to make it through. So Paul's faith here isn't in the ship or the captain. It's not in his situation for us our faith shouldn't be in our jobs. It shouldn't be in, in the people that, that's really around us that are really helpful and should be there. Our faith shouldn't be in the homes that we have or the security systems, although all of that's important. Our faith must always be founded on God. And just like Paul, he's on a ship. The ship's a bit broken, but he's still standing on it. There's a qualified captain on board, but his faith isn't in them. His faith is in God, and he is fully persuaded that all the men will survive, just as God has said. He adds that the ship will still experience a shipwreck, but the promise was not that the ship would be saved, but that their lives would be. The certain island that they eventually arrive, arrive at is discovered to be Malta, and there was purpose that God had even in this, because in Acts chapter 28, we find out that once Paul crashes into that region, they go into the region, they meet the natives, and then a snake bites Paul and he just shrugs it off. And suddenly they see him as a God. They realize that there's some divine power working in here. So even if you might be in a shipwreck and even if the ship might crash at the end, in the end, God's purpose and his plan and his glory will still be achieved. Because he, as he took Paul's shipwreck and transformed it into a revival, he launched Paul into the middle of a scene where the gospel will be preached. 
He launched Paul into the middle of a place where his miracles, signs, and wonders will be manifested just like that so you and I can be launched and thrown right into the middle of a revival where we experience God's power, we experience God's miracle workings, we experience all that God has planned and purpose for our lives and the lives of others. So God can cause any setback or storm or shipwreck to land you in the middle of His purpose. And what's amazing is that Yes, God is seeking out the individual. He's looking at Paul and he's ensuring Paul's safety. But he's also looking at how in his rerouting, he's going to also incorporate the furthering of the gospel. Even though God is a God of the individuals, he's also the God who's looking at the greater purpose. He incorporates Paul's shipwreck in order to benefit those people of that island. If it was all smooth sailing, those people would probably would have been passed by. But because of that setback, because of that calamity, those people now receive salvation and healing. Amen. In Acts chapter 27, verse 30 to 32, it goes on to say, Then the sailors tried to abandon the ship. They lowered the lifeboats as though they were going to put out anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul said to the commanding officers and the soldiers, You will all die unless the sailors stay aboard. So the soldiers cut the ropes to the lifeboats and let it drift away. And as we conclude, the band uh, can come up, please. So Paul is warning these sailors that if they go into the lifeboats, that they're going to die. So a lifeboat is something that obviously as the name dictates, is a lifeboat. It's meant there to save your life in the oceans. But yet he's telling them, no, don't go that route. Don't go the route that's rational, that's that seems to make sense that you're normally used to because if you go that route, you're probably or you will going to die. So the lifeboat looks like it's a good means of escape. But in order for the promises or the promise of their lives being spared to be fulfilled, they need to remain on board. Generally, when we start seeking out the plans of God and the purposes of God, we find that things start to come into place. Suddenly there's opportunities that's opening up we're obeying His word. Suddenly, our finances are changing. And then we can fall into a place where we now want to go into a lifeboat when something goes bad and we forget how we got to that place in the first place. We can try to place our security in man-made little lifeboats. It could be our appearance, our academics, our money, or our careers. And the reality is that all of these things can be taken away from us. In order to have true security, we need to place our faith in something that can never be taken away. In the middle of the storm, remaining in God's word and will is the safest place that we can be. He is faithful to bring us safely through the storm back onto solid ground. And then we see the conclusion in Acts 27 verse 39. It says, When it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they had planned to run the ship if possible. How nice. In the middle or at the end now of the storm, they've seen darkness, they've seen no sun, they've seen no stars, they didn't know where they were, and now towards the end, they start to see a beach. How many of you like looking at a beach? They see a sight coming through, they see daylight breaking forth. Towards the end of your resistance and towards the beginning of your deliverance, you'll begin to see the beach that God has promised you. You begin to get sight once again of a place of comfort, a place of enjoyment, a place of security, 
and suddenly you begin to see the light and you begin to see that beach right in front of you. And I'm here to tell you that God is surely going to bring you to that shore. God is surely going to bring you to that beach. God is surely going to bring you to that light once again where you, you shall feel safety, where you shall feel security, where you shall see comfort and where you shall begin to experience the promises and the purposes of God once again in your life. In Acts 27, it ended off in verse 44 and says, And so it was that they all had escaped safely to land. And we see how God used this whole setback. They didn't obey the word, then obeyed the word, then they didn't want to obey it again. But throughout it all, God was preserving Paul and he's going to preserve you and I. And he set them into their purpose. He set them into the place that they were meant to be. And you might be sitting here saying, I'm in a setback. I'm in a storm. Maybe it was because of somebody else's decision. Maybe it was because of your own decision. But if you're saying right here that you're experiencing a setback or a storm that you're in and you need to experience these anchors, you need to experience the presence of God once again, I want you just to raise your hand to me in this place and we're going to pray. So if you're here saying that you're experiencing a setback, won't you just lift your hands? Amen. Amen. We can just worship. We can just stand, church, and just worship God. And if that's you, if you're saying you're in that setback and that storm, I want you to just come to the front and we as a church are just going to pray that God will touch you with His presence, that He will touch you with His power and that He would bring forth the light, His purpose, His promises burning once again within you, that you will know that you know that God is with you in the storm, that you will know and you will know for sure that His promises shall prevail, His purposes shall prevail and God will receive all the glory once again. If you desire to see the nations of the earth transformed by the power of the life-changing gospel, become a partner with this ministry. For more information, go to our website, igniteharvest.com.